0: You're listening to audio from Covenant Church. Visit CovenantDoylstown.org to connect with our ministry. Well, good morning, Covenant Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Well, my name is Rob Chifukoyo, and I am so glad you're with us this morning. Um, we've been going through this series called Praying with Jesus. And um, Steve has been walking us through praying through the Psalms, and uh, this morning I'm going to carry on with that as we go through uh, Psalm 32. Now Psalm 32 is a powerful psalm. It's such a powerful psalm, and as we pray through the psalms, it's important for us to remember that we ought to pray the good news, that we ought to pray the gospel. Uh, This morning uh, we're going to be walking through what it's like to to pray the gospel to pray the good news to come to Jesus and to go before him and pray this amazing news that we that we have uh, one thing that I just wanted to encourage you, this psalm, it covers the breadth of the gospel. If you've read Psalm 32, if you know about it, you would know that it, 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 is, it is so rich, and uh, this text is so rich, I, I'll just say something that we already know, that there's no way we could possibly uncover all the riches in this text in 30 minutes. I encourage you, go and read this psalm, read, read it throughout the week. Um, I would even encourage you to take a step further, this psalm, uh, it, it tells us that this is instruction, this gives us direction, this is guidance, and, and, and um, I know that uh, for some of us that we don't really like direction and guidance, we, we rebel against it, right, we don't really love that. But, but memorizing Scripture, what it does is, it, 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 as we store it in our hearts, as we write the Word of God on our hearts, what happens is that starts to come out in, in the way we live, but it also comes out in prayer. I was thinking about this resistance to direction and guidance as I was studying, uh, because I'm, I'm like that. I, I'm, I'm like that especially uh, when it comes to, to Google Maps. Like uh, every time I punch in the destination, I don't know if anyone is in here who's like that. I, I'm looking right here and I know wives are, are resisting to turn to their husbands who fight the direction that Google Maps is giving. Right, I'm, I'm like that. Um, you know, when, when, I, when I punch in the destination and it says 28 minutes, something in my soul rebels against that and says challenge accepted. <laughs> right, I think I can get there. But I was thinking about this navigation thing and, and thinking about navigation. When I, when I first came and visited the United States in about 2007, I found this amazing discovery. There was this thing called, called MapQuest. Does anyone remember MapQuest? I was like blown away that you could print the directions of where you wanted to go. I was like, just where you want to go, you can print those directions out. And uh, when, when MapQuest went to be with the Lord, a thing called TomTom... Tom, Tom Tom came up. How many of you remember Tom Tom? TomTom was so expensive, right? TomTom was expensive. It was, you either had a TomTom or you sent your kids to college. It was a decision you were making because that thing cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And when TomTom was done, you you find that then there's this thing called Google Maps that's now on our phone accessible. But I want to point to a generation that is incredible because they had none of these things and yet somehow they found their way by memorizing the directions. It's amazing. I can't believe it. But there's a generation in here. Their hair might be a little bit gray or they might not have hair, but they remember a time where they would get in the car and they would, from memory, find their ways to pick up soccer or to travel soccer or to the mall, they would remember the way. And I want us to be encouraged by this, church, that the Word of God is not just there for us to open, read, and, but it's for us to store in the memory of our hearts so that when we are praying, the Word of God is what is within us. It is what has filled us up. So when we look at the psalm, my encouragement to you this morning, let us try with, with, and let us go to the Lord and ask the Lord to store these words in our hearts. Let's look at Psalm 32. Psalm 32 it says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that your word, Lord, would convict us, Lord, but it would lead us to life. Help us, Lord, to to rest and stand in the truth, Lord. Help us, Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of your goodness. We love you, Lord. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this psalm, Psalm 32, is believed by many commentators to follow Psalm 51. It is believed that uh, this, may, this may be the historical order of where this psalm lands, and if you know what Psalm 51 is, uh, it's, it's the psalm where David uh, wrote that psalm after he had been confronted about his, his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, and all that happened after that, the death of Uriah, the murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. David writes the psalm after Nathan had confronted him and exposed his sin, and David David's heart was so broken before the Lord that he wrote Psalm 51. And we find that, that, that David makes a promise in Psalm 51. In verse 13, he says that he would teach transgressors God's ways. He says, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. So this, as you see in your Bible, as I had mentioned before, it starts here, and most of your Bibles will say a masculine, which is an instruction, and a contemplation, that we, are, we ought to meditate on this passage of Scripture. We ought to sit in it. There are so many pause breaks in there where, where it says selah, so that we can sit there and actually meditate on God's Word and let it sit on our hearts so that we don't move too quickly through it. And so the first thing here we find, church, that when we are praying and when we're running out of things to pray about, we can never run out of the words to talk about the beauty of our salvation. We can never run out of talking about the the goodness of the cross. This psalm starts with good news. It starts with this word, blessed. Blessed. You find, like the Sermon on on the Mount, this is a beatitude. It starts with this saying that, blessed. And so as we read on, we're finding out who is blessed. Unlike in Psalm uh, 1, as the book of Psalms opens up with this same word, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the ways of the wicked. This psalm starts with a different angle and a different perspective in this psalm, the blessedness is not to the law keeper, but to the law breaker. That the law breaker is blessed. The psalm makes the heir of wrath a partaker of blessing. Church, that is you and I. That is the greatest news. That is the most amazing news. That when you read Psalm 1, what what might stir up in your heart is, well, I have not kept the law perfectly. I've walked in the ways of the wicked. I've sinned against God. So maybe I cannot partake of this blessing. But this one says, blessed are those who have broken the law and their sins have been forgiven. That's you and I. That's the the gospel. That's the beauty of, of what Jesus has done for us says the sinners are blessed because our transgression is forgiven. We need to be fully aware of this church, that we can come to God and pray this good news. I don't know if this good news gets old for you, but, but there's something in the person who acknowledges the weight of the sin that they've been forgiven of that they can never fully go away from the goodness of that news, that act, what Jesus did. We don't move on from that news. We stay in that. Constantly going before the Lord and saying, Lord, thank you for saving me. My sin was great and you forgave it. Thank you, Jesus. Charles Spurgeon a powerful English speaker from the 1800s, he would put it this way in a commentary on this particular psalm. He would say, oh, the blessednesses, the double joys. He's saying that this, this blessedness is not just a little blessedness. It's, it's a double joy. It's, it's so vast and so big that in light of the acknowledgement of our sin, if we even have a little bit of an understanding of how holy God is and how terrible our sin was, for God to say it is finished, it is paid in full we keep going to him and saying I am blessed and blessed and blessed beyond measure Church, in light of the cross, this is the good news for the follower of Jesus Christ. Everything could go wrong in this life. Every day we could face hardships. We could face persecution. We could face loss. We could face grief. But the truth is, as long as we acknowledge the cross of Jesus Christ and see the blessedness of that gift, we can face the things that we're facing in this world. We are double blessed. Oh, the blessednesses. Our salvation brings a double joy. Church, we go to prayer with that joy filled in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. The double joys. I love that. And then we find, church, that we received freely. We did nothing to earn this. In fact, Paul in Romans chapter 4 points back to this particular psalm when he's talking about how we are justified by faith and faith alone. It's not works. Paul says it's not our works. In Romans chapter 4 verse 6, he says this. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. That's you and I. Paul is writing to this church in Rome saying, You don't even have to work for it. Freely given. By faith, Jesus paid it all. He did it all. We just received. Thank you, Jesus, you have covered it all. And then you find in the psalm, in the first two verses, The whole spectrum of sin is covered. We find that three words are used in this psalm to describe sin. It says transgression. The first word there that's used is is transgressions are forgiven. Transgression meaning our rebellion, our departure. Church that we have, that we understand that we rebelled against God, that humanity rebelled against God and we departed from God's ways. And so that's covered. And And then it says sin, which is that word which means falling short or missing the mark. It, it covers that it says iniquity or in some of your Bibles it will say sin again which means crooked corrupt distorted all these things are true I don't need to tell you where how what you ought to just look in your own heart and see that this whole thing here this whole bouquet of sin exists in our hearts But here's the good news, because the trinity of sin here is overcome by the trinity of heaven. Three words are given for our pardon. It says that we are forgiven, which means to lift a burden off, that our debt has been forgiven. It's amazing. It's freeing. Anyone ever been in debt here? No one's trying to raise their hands. Right? But when your debts are forgiven, isn't that amazing news? For the person who is in debt. Right? Right? And it costs something to forgive our debts, but it says we're forgiven. It says that we're covered. I love Genesis 3, right? When you read about Adam and Eve when they sin against God and, and, and then they make these fig leaves to try and cover up themselves, right? But God there, he, 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 he announces the consequences of their sin. But if you read Genesis chapter 3, what does God do for Adam and Eve? He makes them a new covering and covers them. We are covered. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. It says here that our sin is not counted against us. This language is bookkeeping language for all you bookkeepers, not imputed. In Psalm 103, verse 12, it says that as far as the east is to the west, God has removed our transgressions from us. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, it says, He blots out our transgressions and remembers our sin no more. Have you ever sinned against someone and you know that they just have that thing in their back pocket waiting for the right argument to come across? Every argument you have, any married people in you, you know that there's that one thing that you did that one time and it's just there in the back pocket, and God bless you if you never reach for your back, but sometimes just reaching for it signals, okay, let's end this argument. It says that God remembers our sin no more. He does not do that with you and I. That is blessedness. But we find that in that last line. This is where the psalm goes back, because this, if this is the after picture, David shows us the Before. It says, and in whose spirit is no deceit. How is there no deceit in your spirit? Well, David starts to lead to a personal testimony of confession. So not only do we pray our salvation, church, we pray our confession. We pray about our sin. David starts with this awesome news, but he paints a vivid picture of the effects of sin. This is a personal testimony of the strife and anguish that David had when he was hiding his sin, when he was hiding his sin and concealing it. If you, if you go and read the account of David and Bathsheba, what you'll find is that David, one, first and foremost, was not in the place that he was, that he was supposed to be. He wasn't in the place that God had called him to, to be. And then you find that as he looks upon Bathsheba, he, he, he ultimately, he's the king. Whatever he says goes. Bathsheba is summoned, and David has this adulterous affair with Bathsheba and you find that the consequence of that affair is that Bathsheba falls pregnant and David's like oh no I was just looking for just this one time deal but now she's pregnant now things are messed up now I gotta try and cover that he calls Bathsheba's husband back from war so that he would come so that he can cover up this sin that he's committed so that they would think that Bathsheba at the time when his husband when her husband came back they conceived this child and so David's plan doesn't work because Uriah is so, so committed and so loyal to David that he says, I will not even enjoy that pleasure while my men are at war. He sits her out, and David's plan is going from bad to worse. Sin begets more sin. More sin in our trying to cover it up. It's like a child who has mud on their hands who's trying to clean themselves. They're just getting themselves more dirty. That's what sin does. That's what concealing sin does to us. It destroys us. And then finally you find that David resorts to murder to cover his sin. More sin. And in this anguish, David says this about that period of time. He says that for day and night, he said, when I kept silent, my my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. When we are living a duplicitous life, church, the weight you feel when you're covering sin up That is the hand of the Lord and his love for us. I know this is the human heart condition. Before we even know Jesus, we know this feeling. I've seen it in my children before they even know what they're doing. I've seen it in kids. When they, when they steal a cookie and, they, and they're like, what's in your hand? And, and they, 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 it's like, I can see. Or when they do something and, and, and that moment of just waiting... Is someone gonna find out? It is as though your bones are wasting away. If someone opens my computer when I'm not there, what will they find? It's as though your bones are wasting away. You're working double time to hide your phone. You're working double time to hide your your financial documents. You're working double time to conceal sin. It is so energy sapping. David says it's like walking in the heat. We find here, church, and I understand that because I've been in ministry for a number of years. I've seen many people who conceal sin for a seemingly good reason. I don't want to destroy my family. I've seen the devastation of concealed sin that has built up over years destroy families. But, church, there's freedom. The Bible says we ought not to walk in that way. David is giving us his example, saying, guys, it's not worth it. There is no life to be found in that life. And church, as I was studying this, I've also seen certain things, and I'm not talking about other people. It's very easy as the preacher to talk about others. I'm talking about myself. I've seen that when sin tries to overtake you and you conceal it, two things can happen. Either your heart is softened or your heart is hardened. Some of the most hardened religious people have a line of sin hidden in the closet. And in public, they declare all these things that they point at others, but in private, their lives are just full of dirt and scum because their hearts have become hardened. I remember years ago, my little brother sent me this text, and I was like, this is too good to be a quote from you. (laughs) And he said, the same boiling water that softens the potato hardens the egg. The heat that we may feel that heavy hand upon us. For some of us, it creates a hardness of heart. David's heart was hardened. When Nathan confronted him, Nathan Nathan told David a story about David without telling David, it's about David. And David said that man must die while he was holding on to this concealed sin, a hardened heart. It is only when Nathan said, you're the man, that David's heart was softened. I remember the Lord saying, we all want to be the man. You're the man. But the Bible, the only you're the man, is pointing out our contradiction, our duplicitous lives. Confessing our sin, Lord, uh, guys, to the Lord. Walking in the light, the heavy hand of the Lord upon us. We take those things to God and the Lord will lead us. The Lord will show us what freedom looks like in Him. In verse 5, we find that, that what David was concealing and what we conceal, oftentimes we have this misconstrued idea of who God is, but David finds out in verse 5 that what he thought God was going to do is not what God did. We find that in his rebellion, in his concealing sin, we find here in verse 5, David says this, there's this, there's this pause after, after verse 4, by the way, where we contemplate and we sit in the reality of what it looks like to walk in that heat of day, to, to watch our frame just waste away. But in verse 5, after that pause there's this then it says then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity and I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin David comes and he says he uses those same three words sin transgression and iniquity and he confesses his sin he, he says he's resolved it in his heart to confess his sin and he finds that he is healed, that he's purified. In 1 John 1 verse 9, it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and, purif- and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is what God will do when we confess our sin. God will forgive, you, will purify us. And there's a, there's a parallel here in Psalm 32 that can be drawn to Jesus' story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. That as the prodigal son went away from the father, sinned against the father, left his home, spent his inheritance on wild living, the Bible says. Spent his inheritance, as his older brother would say, on prostitutes. You find that there's something that happens. As the prodigal son is out of money, as the prodigal son is sitting in that pigsty, he resolves in in his own heart. He says this. He says, I will go back to my father. And he starts writing a speech. And we find in this passage of scripture that David here, and I love this as I read this in this, this amazing commentary by, by James Montgomery Boyce, a 10th prayers pastor. He, he said that, he said, I will confess. He never said, I did. Just like the prodigal son had this great speech. And as he went back home, which is what repentance is, turning away from this life that we're living and going back to the Father, the Father sees that action and all our great speeches and all our long prayers of what we want to say to God, what we think will convince God, God already sees us. And in that story in Luke chapter 15, and guess what? Jesus is the only one who, who he knows the Father, right? He knows that this is what the Father will do when you return to him with your sin. And he says this. He says, the father came running after the son. Came running after him. The son didn't even get to finish his speech. The father says, quick to the servants, put a robe on him. Put a ring on him. When we confess our sin, the Lord is quick to forgive. He is quick to forgive. It is speedy. The father doesn't send us on this restoration path to be back in his family, just like we as fathers wouldn't do that to our children. He says, you're back. You're a son, quick to forgive. And we find here that quickness of forgiveness as we pray and confess our sins, church, Uh, The posture of our heart alone, the Father sees. The sincerity in our hearts, the Father sees. Let us go to Him with the weight of the things that we are carrying our rebellion, our guilt, our shame. Let us take it to the Father. Let us take it to the feet of Jesus. And we find here, real quick, it says here in verse 6 and 7 that this reality is something much like in, in Psalm 51, that, that the, the reality that we have been forgiven of much makes us people first and foremost who can forgive others very quickly, right? Jesus would say this over and over again. In, in, in the, if you read the Gospels, you'll find that those who have been forgiven of much can forgive as well that we, we don't get to hold on to stuff once we've been forgiven. But another thing that we do is we also direct other people to a place of prayer. We say, hey, listen, this has happened to me. It's so amazing. You pray as well, and you'll find what I found. That where others have found gold, others are inclined to dig as well. You, we know this in life. I, I remember there, there's this cookie um, and I won't say the name of, of, of the store, it's just a good cookie because you know, this is not a paid ad. But um, I, you know, there's this cookie company and, and every, I heard seven people talk about how great this cookie is. I'm like, it's a cookie. They're like, they're amazing. And when I bit that cookie and I finally went to that place and I bit that cookie, I started going as well, you gotta eat this cookie, it's amazing. When we found something, we want to tell others. We want to say, I found forgiveness. Look, I was a sinner. David's like, I was a murderous adulterer. And God forgave me. He he forgave me swiftly. Pray as well, while he may still be found. I love that in this passage of Scripture, he says, while the Lord may still be found. While you may be found, surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. Church, there's a day when the Lord will not be found. There's a day of judgment that will come. So in our prayers, there's an urgency in our spirit. Our compassion for what we've, forgiven, what we've been forgiven of, what we've found in Jesus, doesn't make us people who want to make other people get in line. It makes us people who want to tell people of the joy we've found. It makes us people who want to ask others as well with an urgency, go to the Lord while he may be found. And so David does this. He prays for others. And then I love in this passage of scripture, it says this, that you are my hiding place. That the person who was hiding in verse 3, covering up his sin, you find here, but in in verse in verse 7, he says, You are my hiding place. He he was hiding from the judge, now he's found refuge in the judge. Church, that is us running from the Lord, hiding from the Lord, but now he has become our hiding place. He has become our safe room, he has become our panic room, God has become our refuge. And you find in this passage of scripture, David says, and surround me with songs of deliverance. David says that not only have I found a hiding place in God, but I've also found a playlist. That he surrounds me with songs of deliverance. What are songs of deliverance? Songs that are reminding us that we have been delivered. You find here in 2 Samuel 22, David writes a whole chapter, a whole song of deliverance. He's, in this whole chapter, there, there are words and there are songs in this that start with, The Lord is my rock and my strong fortress and deliverer. David says these songs have surrounded him to remind him, You have been delivered. I don't know how many of you have a go-to playlist for different moments, right? I have, a, I have a preaching playlist. Like, before I preach, I just listen to these songs that encourage my heart, that remind me of the goodness of God, that remind me to be humble, that remind me of that this is God's thing, not Rob's thing, that remind me to keep my eyes fixed on Him, right? There's a whole playlist with that. Uh, uh, you know, and I blast that thing when, I, when I'm driving into church, so if it's noisy, that's me. Um, and then, you know what? I, 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 you know, I, I, for working out and running, um, I don't have a playlist because I don't do it, but... If I did, I don't know. I'll probably have a jam. You guys probably have a song that gets you ready with it. It's Eye of the Tiger. I don't know what you are on that treadmill. You're you're listening to the song. But the funniest playlist that I have, my wife calls me out for this, is a playlist called Flying Peace. (laughs) Because I'm a nervous flyer. So when I get on a plane, I, I play this playlist and my wife laughs because all the songs are about God holding us up. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Bringing us through it all safely in the arms of God. Like it's, everything is about, and you know, during COVID when I had to fly and, and, I, was, and I was afraid of like getting COVID, like I, I, on that on playlist, I was like, I had, you know, uh, even when I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. I was like just putting this force field of Jesus. Jesus around me so I wouldn 't get COVID. Uh, but we have this playlist, and it says that we 're surrounded by this playlist, this, these the songs of deliverance. You are delivered. Be reminded that you are surrounded by songs, by shouts of deliverance. You have been delivered. You have been delivered. Remember, you have been delivered. Remember that your life, that, that your soul, that your spirit, it was bought with the price on the cross. Remember that deliverance. Remember those songs. When the enemy says, you're not a son, or you're not a daughter, you are surrounded by songs that remind you that you are a son, that you are a daughter. And in prayer, we remind ourselves, we remind our hearts when the enemy brings doubt, when the enemy says, you're not good enough, say that's right I'm not good enough because I didn't pay the price that I didn't save myself that we are surrounded by imagery of deliverance I want to remind you church that you're surrounded by this that we did not do anything to rescue ourselves as the psalm reminds us but God did everything he rescued us he brought us through it all and we're surrounded by that and then we find here in verse 8 and 9, we find here that the psalm could have ended in verse, in verse 7, but there's a fourth stanza here. And now God is speaking. Church prayer is not just about talking to God, it is also about listening. That as we pray, we take time to stop and pause and listen to the voice of God and receive instruction. I love that it says that God will instruct us and teach us in the way you should go. Do not do what you do with Google Maps with the Lord. Let the Lord guide us. And it says, I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. As the Lord directs us with his eye. But for us to be directed by the Lord's Lord's glance, for us to be directed by that look, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That in prayer, this helps us continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. I don't know if this is like a manual that gets given to moms when they leave the hospital, right? But every mom I know has an eye that guides their children. I've seen it with my own two eyes in my own home. And there's an eye that tells you, you ought to put that thing down. There's a loving eye that looks upon you and gives you instruction. And the Lord says, that is what that that look from the Lord is. It will guide us. It will instruct us. And we shouldn't resist that. And the Lord says, do not be like like an animal that has to be dragged or, or, or yanked into the right path. Just let the Lord lead us. And I love that this psalm ends with this. It says, many are the woes of the wicked. It talks about the results and the consequences of those who have chosen to walk away from the Lord. Those who have resisted that instruction. Those who have, who have, who have rejected the gift of salvation. It says, many are their sorrows. But then it says this. It says this but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. And it says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Church, we rejoice. We rejoice. Because what we found is precious. And we sing. And we have joy in our hearts. And this news is great news, but as we go to the Lord... We go with everything, knowing that, Jesus, we give you all our praise, that we don't reserve any praise in our tank for other things, but, Jesus, you alone, we give you all our praise, we give you all our rejoice, we give you all our hearts, and we go to the Lord in prayer, and our relationship with Jesus becomes more and more intimate because we, we spend time with him, and we rejoice and we sing. This morning, church, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to sing again. And church, I've been so convicted and stirred in my own heart that I really don't care who's around me. So please have grace for me. Forgive me. But I may sing and rejoice like I'm in the shower this morning (laughs) because this news it's too great, it's too much to keep in my heart, my little heart cannot contain the double joys of the sinner who I know I was, the wretch that I know I was, the depth of the pit that I was in, and God's mighty hand pulled me up out of that pit through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, so I will sing and rejoice. Let us pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Find out more about who we are and how you can plug in at covenantdoylestown.org.